You know, the world has a view of dads that is sometimes uh, denigrating, that's sometimes uh, unflattering, right? And I think the world wants to create a persona that males will step into that is outside of the identity that the Father has given us in order to be the, the men that we're supposed to be. So the world would create a persona that would uh, make us feel it's okay to be passive, that it's okay to, uh, to not to be aloof and uh, dismissive, and uh, it, it would look something to the degree of like Homer Simpson. Oh, don't y'all get holy in here on oh, oh, me. Come on now. Right? That your only objective as a dad is to like work this job, to guzzle beer, and to be infatuated with donuts, um, to, 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 you know, to, to always be this bumbling character that never has a, a word, that is just their whole life is just a, a myriad of mistakes or just being a boy that never could grow up. And, and that's, I think, the world has created this picture that they're wanting men to step into. That the only thing that they should be concerned with is sports and guzzling beer and doing manly type things. Uh, but then at the neglect of our family, while the mother does all the stuff and, and, and ties up all the loose ends and all this other thing. But I want to tell you something. That is not what God has destined for the men in this church, for the men in this city and for the men who are dads. And God is looking for some dads that will not get their identity from the world, but that will begin to get their identity from the Word of God and begin to get identity from a relationship with God the Father. He's looking for somebody who will step into that identity. When Jesus was revealing the Father, the Bible says in Colossians that in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, everything about Jesus was everything about God. That Jesus wasn't just a man acting as God. He was God in the flesh. He is God himself. So when Jesus wanted to reveal who God was and what God was like, he reveals him as Father. He could have revealed him as creator. He could have revealed him as businessman, could have revealed him as judge. He could have revealed him as a lot of things. But Jesus wanted them, who Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Anything that would exalt itself above that revelation is not God, is not the true manifestation of Jesus. So God wanted to be revealed as a father. but that he would only be revealed through the Son. That the Father wanted to be seen through his Son. You with me? That God only wants to be known through relationship and that in that relationship, a healing would take place so that when people saw us, they would see the heart of the Father. That God doesn't want to reveal himself separate from the Son, but only in and exclusively in the Son. What's God saying? He's saying the way is relationship. 
And the way to identify with me is Father. It's Father. That this is what Jesus is imitating for us to imitate. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the... but through Him. So that through the Son's sacrifice, we might have relationship with Him, and the Holy Spirit might come into us and begin to shape and mold us where we might portray to this city and to the world and to our circles of influences what the heart of the Father actually is. And this is the way God wants to be revealed. He wants to be revealed through you. Thank you for those good amens. I walked into First Baptist this morning or something. Don't we always want to pray that God would do it separate from us? Don't we do that? God, fix that little deal over there. And God says, no, let me invade your soul give you a burden that keeps you on your knees and then drives you to that most painful place so that you can show them who the Father is by being a son or a daughter in Him. Is that all right? Too bad. I'm just going to get it one way or another. So God would reveal Himself as a Father because He knows there's one ache in humanity and that is the one thing that can address every single problem is the Father. That that is the ache that's in humanity. So with that being known, what do you think is on Satan's hit list as the most prevalent thing that he wants to attack? The Father. Because if he can get the covering moved aside, kids will walk aimlessly, not able to find their identity. And we've got a bunch of selfish men who think that they live lives unto themselves. But men, you don't live lives unto yourselves. You live lives for another. And that you give your children the identity that they are supposed to have. And that has to come through you. And that can only come properly through you when you've got a proper relationship with God. So we don't say, oh, well, I'm just doing my thing right now. No, you're not. There's too many people attached to you that are suffering because you're doing your thing. There's too many people that you've put out because you're doing your thing. No, you're hurting other people. You're selfish. You're selfish. And you need to lay your life down before God. And you need to lay yourself out before an altar and say, God, help me. You should be crying out. Saying, God, help me be the man I need to be. I'm not here to beat up on you today because it's only by the grace of God that I'm standing up here. I do want you to search your heart. I do want you to know your importance. And I do want you to step into what God has for you. When God reveals himself, he reveals himself as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Now, why would God reveal himself as the God of three generations? Because God's trying to show us the fact that he is relational and that he's looking farther ahead than just your life. That when he calls Abraham to come out of the tent, 
and said, Abraham, you can't get a vision for your life up under here because you're not going to be able to see the magnitude of the plan that I got for you. So he says, come out of the tent. Now count the stars. <laughs> I can't. Okay, that's your descendants. See, God is so much further down the road than we are. He has such a bigger vision for our lives than we could even imagine that he's not thinking about just you right now in this moment. Do you know right now he's thinking about your great, 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 great grandsons and daughters that will come after you and that will be living life long after you are dead and gone. What Satan wants to do is get you so internally consumed with your own garbage and your own junk that you never get a vision for your life that goes bigger than you and your family. But God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's looking generations down the road. And if you'll be faithful in your generation, if you'll be faithful with what he's entrusted to you, something will pop up maybe a hundred years down the road, and maybe the greatest revival that the world's ever known comes through somebody you never met, but your obedience rippled into the factors of, of, of tomorrow, and it raised up someone that God could use based on the good decisions that you've made today. You might be witnessing to a, a waitress and might go away feeling unsuccessful and like you fell on your face, but she goes home and gets on her knees and you can't see that part. And then a chain reaction sets off in the family. Are you with me today? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody told me, you know what, Matt? You always get us trying to get us to preach with you, but sometimes we're just sitting and processing. And uh, say, I hope that's true. <laughs> I hope that's true. See, the Father's where we find identity. I was reading a book by John Eldridge on fatherhood, and he said there's two questions that can only be answered by the Father in our lives. And every son wants to hear from his dad that he has what it takes and that he can do it. And every daughter wants to, their dad to answer the question, am I lovely? And am I worth fighting for? And that could only come from you, Dad. You answer that question. You've got to answer that question. I'm reminded of the story when Jacob is Y'all mind if I just ramble and just go with whatever kind of happens here? We're going to be all over the place, so just get used to it. When Jacob is on his way into the land, he's just left his father-in-law, and Rachel's on the way, and Rachel's giving birth. And in that moment, Rachel passes away, giving birth to her son. And in that moment of sorrow... She names the son Ben-Oni, or son of my sorrow. And some of us have been left with a birthing and an existence that we felt like children of sorrow, and that we've had to wear that weight. But even in the midst of Rachel's death, do you know what the dad does in that moment? Israel 
goes and renames the child Benjamin, son of my right hand. In other words, son of everything that I've accumulated in my life by the power of my hand so that he will get it when I'm dead and gone. That God is saying, I don't care what kind of name was placed on you at birth, but if you will let the Father begin to reform your identity, that you'll be a joint heir with Christ and everything the Father has accumulated, He shares with you. That God can rename. He can rename. <sighs> Maybe you've wore the weight, the sorrow that you feel like you're the reason that dad left. And that question was never answered for you. I want to tell you right now, you weren't the reason. And he might not have been equipped to do the things that he was supposed to do in your life. It's touchy. It's got to be said. See, God has endless openings for daughters and sons to come into relationship with him. That's what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. And at my father's house, there's many rooms. <laughs> that God's got this adoption agency. And he's just looking for daughters and sons who will re-identify with their true father. That's their father in heaven, the one that Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you to be intentional even when it comes to naming your child. My daughter Kennedy, me and my wife, we prayed and we fasted and we sought God on what to name my daughter. Say, well, that's kind of over the top for just naming. No, we, we sensed that there was a destiny and a purpose on that child. So we were up to two names. There was a name Sophie and then Kennedy. Come down to those two. Sophie was after Sophie Scholl, who was a hero that stood up against the Nazi regime and was killed for standing against the Nazis uh, during that time. Kennedy was kind of a strange one because we really had no identification with the Kennedys or anything of that nature. Uh, hello. And um, so... But we just felt like that was the name. So we go and look up what Kennedy means, and Kennedy means it's a Gaelic ter term that's uh, anglicized, comes out as Kennedy, but it means helmeted chief. Let me tell you, she's got a hard head. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> but we sensed that there was a leadership and a prophetic mantle that was going to rest on her. So when we saw the meaning of that name, we said, that fits because she's going to be a warrior for God and she's going to put on that helmet and she's going to go into the scariest places and pronounce the kingdom of God. That's the vision for my daughter. I don't care if she can do a somersault. I don't care if she's in the right school district. I'm just preaching to myself today, okay? Okay. The two or three are gathered. What are you doing? 
That's the vision that I have for my daughter. Middle name's Noel, means Christmas. We found out that she was a girl at Christmas. Every bit of her name has a meaning because I don't want her to struggle with her identity or try to find it from somebody else separate from me and her mother. See, a father's role is a special one. A duty to protect, to provide, to establish identity. But one of the most important roles of the father, do you know what it is? The role of the blesser. That the blessing of the father is woven deep into the fabric of humanity. And as humanity goes, will determine on the blessing that the previous generation from the father put on that son. No wonder while Jesus appears and wants to introduce us to the Father so that we can have the blessing here and now that can push, propel us into the future and to do what we are called to do. See, children want the blessing of you, Dad. They want your blessing. It's like my daughter, I take her to the park. And you know she won't go down the slide if I'm on my phone scrolling or looking at things. She'll be like, oh Daddy, watch me. See, it's not about her going down the slide. It's about the affirmation that she's pleasing to the heart of the Father and that the Father can affirm her in her efforts and say, way to go. I love you and I'm so proud of you. And I'm so glad God chose me to be your dad. That answers a lot of questions in a kid's life. And it empowers them to step into their destiny. I didn't know this. My dad shared this with me. Uh, he, I found out more about my dad when I was at my old church. I would have him teach Sunday school, like on Father's Day and stuff. I taught the sanctuary class. And uh, he, he would reveal things that I was like, why didn't you tell me that ever in my life? But, <laughs> but that's how preachers are. We, we're more honest up here sometimes. than anybody. I mean, it's just how it goes sometimes. And dad got up for, I think it was Father's Day. And he taught that that he, not that he was disappointed with my decision, but that he wanted me to end up being something different than being called to ministry. Dad's been in church a long time, and he's seen what happens to pastors. And so dad knew that I had intellect and was smart and bright, whatever. He wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, or these other things. And dad hid that in his heart for years and I always wondered when I told him I was called I, I never seen him get real excited it, it was like that's great son but there was like man he I don't know if he's gonna make it or not he's he's wet behind the ears but and then one day my mom <laughs> was out of town and dad was and I was up in Van Buren at the time doing ministry in Fort Smith and uh, I just called Dad up. I said, Dad, you're home alone. Why don't you come up here? We'll go to a football team. At that time, Van Buren had a good football team, which never happens. And uh, they come up. And so Dad said, yeah, oh, we'll all come up. So he comes up. And uh, I had this moped at the time. And I said, Dad, we're not going to be able to park a car because this was a playoff game. And there's just too many cars. There's just nowhere to park. But if we take this moped... 
we can get anywhere we want to go. And if anybody steals it, I'm only out 200 bucks. So what do you say? So me and dad are going down downtown Van Buren cruising around on a moped. Uh, I'm, I'm telling the truth. So imagine two grown men, one in his late 60s and one in his 20s, cruising around on a moped together. So we went to the game. After the game was over, we come back to my house, had this one bedroom. I just got started in ministry, man. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I stayed at this place. Uh, the landlord, he was, well... Is this going live? We better just stop. I won't mention. But he, instead of putting down a, a good subfloor and floor, he found old parts that he had, just old things laying around, and put paneling down for the floor, then rolled carpet over it. Which would have been okay, except if you spilled something or if anything got wet, So it looked like a skateboard course in my house with ramps and holes. And I had this big, nice entertainment center that my mom got me. But I had a 13-inch TV inside with a VHS. So I said, come to my house. Oh, sit on my couch. Watch that hole and dip and whatever. And we'd open up, and then there's a 13-inch inside this... And Disney movies lined up on the side. Oh, man. Help us, Lord. So we're in there, and that, oh, one time a rat, a wood rat got loose, and it would, somehow it had made laps around my room. And only when I was sleeping. So I was sleeping, and all of a sudden you hear, I'm like, how does it do that around the walls? Aren't there studs there? How is it just freely doing that? So it do it all the time. So I woke up one night, and my dad has a shovel in his hand, ease into a closet and I wake up to Fah! like oh jumped out of bed I look that's it missed him and he pulls out he pulls out the tail of a wood rat dang it missed him I'm just telling you man hey don't judge me by what chapter of my life you walked in on because I can tell you some stories. I was doing this for free before I ever got a paycheck. <laughs> so my dad, that night, we got home from the playoff game. We're getting ready for bed. And my dad put his hand over on my shoulder. See, I didn't realize what was going on in his heart at the time. I didn't know. And he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Son, I'm proud of you. I'm so glad of who you've become. And it just, something just came off of me that empowered me to go for it even harder and to step into my destiny even more. Because I believe that there's something to the blessing of the Father. I just believe it. The Father is a blesser. And sends us into our destiny. I remember my daughter was on her phone one time, or I was on the phone, and she was 
out there playing. You know, she's on the phone too. She can run it better than me. It's odd. It's like, how are you for? And never mind. But uh, so she's playing over here and saying, Daddy, Daddy, and I'm answering emails and trying to get caught up with things. Daddy, 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 Daddy. You know, she's just, I'm just like, what? And she's like got some Play-Doh and say, look, you know, made some food out of it. Do you want to eat this? And like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. I, I definitely want to eat that. And, you know, pretend to eat the Play-Doh if you've ever done that. But And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, Matt, if you have to, if she has to compete for your attention, then she will carry that into her future. And it will define her worth as not being worth enough to be paid attention to and engaged with. She'll take that into her future and then will compete for the attention of men and not know her worth and not allow herself to be pursued. That the Father identifies worth so that the girl can be secure in herself, that she can be pursued and not have to compete for attention. I said, oh God, forgive me. Scrolling on my phone and missing these moments <laughs> that I could be pouring worth into her. I'm a fellow struggler, struggler with you here, okay? So I'm just, I'm just being honest with you guys. That these are things I'm, I'm, I'm searching my heart for. So maybe you, your father didn't do that for you, and maybe. And I realize when the word fathers mentioned that there's just mixed reviews. You know, a crowd this big, and I say, Dad, a hundred different things come up. Perhaps. He abandoned you or abused you. Maybe he died before you were ready. You didn't get to say that goodbye. Maybe he left you for another reason. Perhaps your dad was distant, removed, showed no interest. Maybe he terrified you with his anger and his rage. And the only message you got from the father was to sit down and shut up and don't do anything that would cross my will. Perhaps he embarrassed you with his behavior. And you were known as the one with the dad that was always just messing up. Perhaps he made you the scapegoat for all his troubles. So that you had to suffer for the other things that people had done to him. Maybe he blamed you for things that were not your fault. Maybe he worked too much or played too hard. Maybe he never spent time with you. Maybe he missed your ball games, your dance recitals. You're spelling bees. Maybe he spent too much time forcing you to become something that you never wanted to be. Perhaps he left you in the care of hurtful, dangerous people. Perhaps he might have been just too occupied with himself. But I want to encourage you that there is a better day ahead. That there is a blessing that is not just temporal that comes from a father. But there's a blessing from a father that's eternal. And he wants to speak this blessing over you 
so that you not just finish life the way you're supposed to, but that you'll go into eternity in relationship with him being exactly who you were called to be. We need to have that blessing. You know, as I read the scripture, I realize even David was passed over. When Samuel comes to anoint the king and said, it's in your house, Jesse. Jesse gets all the sons, but guess who he doesn't get? David. Because shepherding was such a dirty trade at that time and such a dirty thing that he thought it can't be the one out in the field with the sheep. So Samuel goes to anoint each and every one and says, not here. Can you imagine being forgotten by your dad? Well, this is all of them. Oh, wait. There's a shepherd boy in the field. (laughs) See, the dad didn't realize what was going on in the heart of his son. (laughs) That he was in the field singing songs and writing songs to God and killing lions and doing things that his father would never acknowledge and be proud of him for. But the heavenly father stepped in and speaks to the prophet and says, bring up the one, that one's the one. And so here comes this scraggly teenager. A scraggly teenager watching sheep comes up and says, this is the one, this is the king of Israel. See, sometimes being passed over by your earthly father is a prerequisite to finding the heavenly father so that you can turn that pain into something that is a cry that begins to develop a relationship with God your Father, that you find your completeness in Him separate from earthly means, and then you step into a calling able to identify what it is to be looked over. The thing I find about David that's unique is that even though he wasn't invited to the anointing party, he was still secure in himself. Why? Because he was out in the field hanging out with God. He said, I'm going to be the same person out here with the sheep as I am if I'm the king of Israel, that this This is just my heart, that I'm a man after God's own heart. And so you can find your security in God that will supersede anything that you can find in the earth. I know we're all over the place, but bear with me one more time. Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 30. It's a story of two sons at the threshold of blessing and one being passed over, Esau and Jacob. Now the father was getting ready to bless the eldest son, as was the custom of that day. Now that son had sold his birthright, but it seems to me that the birthright wasn't as important as the father's verbal and physical blessing. I'm going to tell you something. A piece of paper is (laughs) is never more satisfying than eye to eye, face to face, hand to hand blessing. So he'd already sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. But it seems that that didn't matter much that it was about the father's verbal blessing that was really what was important. So as he's off, sent by his father on an errand to go hunt and go kill, uh, make him some stew so that he could come and then get the blessing. As he left, Jacob's mom gets wind of it. Or Isaac's, Isaac's wife, rather. Jacob's mom. 
And she gets wind, wind of it. And she goes and says, hey, hurry up. Your brother's hairy, so kill some goats and put their skin on your arms. Now, hunting in this day, this was like rudimentary stuff. Like, right? They didn't have like high-powered rifles where like this could be an easy kill. And when you went off on a hunting journey, you could be gone for days, a long time. So, so Jacob, he kills these goats and he puts their skin on his arms and he comes into the father. And at this time, Isaac's eyes are very dim and he can't see very well. And so he comes back with this bowl of stew and he, the father fills his arms and says, but the voice sounds like Jacob, but the arms feel like Esau. So he goes ahead and gives him a blessing. But then in our text today, Esau shows up. And this is what happens. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that, we, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Verse 34, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times, took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Have you ever seen anybody pass you up that you knew did it in the wrong kind of way? Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered, said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. What we read here it seems to be a tragedy. One that was tricked and on the wrong end of something and seemed like he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it also seemed as if his dad was blind. Blind to who he was and what he was in his life. And it might feel like that for you. Maybe it feels at times that dad blind Esau sold his birthright but it was the father's blessing that was binding I want to tell you something this was an old covenant reality and whoever told him that the father could only give one blessing As if only one blessing can go forward. 
See, this was an Old Testament reality that only one could be ultimately blessed by the Father. But when we understand why God chooses to bless one, it suddenly opens up this whole door of revelation for us. When God chose one man being Abraham, he chose him and gives him the promise that through him, all nations will be blessed. So when God chooses one, it is not to exclude. When God chooses one, it's to identify the precise point that where we know we can go to find the blessing. So God pinpoints Abraham in order to make a nation out of him that they would reflect the glory of God. Didn't work, didn't happen. Israel could not hold up to that. So then God becomes flesh and chooses another man, a second Adam named Jesus. And he picks this man exclusively, not to exclude everyone else, but so that when the world needed to find a father, they would know where to go and where to look. So God goes back to choosing one man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, so that we could know where to go to to find the blessing of the Father. And when Jesus is baptized, and he's baptized by John, the Bible says that the sky opens up, that a dove comes down, or the Holy Spirit like a dove comes down, and there's the audible voice of the Father that is heard that says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So that anybody that would go back to the Son and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come be a part of my life. Be the Lord of my life. That anybody that would do that, the same blessing would be spoken over them. That God would look down from heaven and look at you and me and say, this is my son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. But this is what God's doing. This is what God well, the Bible says that your life is hidden with Christ in God, or in God with Christ. That's why the Bible says you have to lose your life to find it. Why? Because it's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus you get the Father's blessing. It's only in Him. The Hebrew word for generations is door. And the ancient pictograph or the picture word form of that is a man's head and a circle next to it, which represents a tent door. And so the word generation means, in a sense, a circle. The movement of man, that man is born in the tent, lives his life, goes out of the tent. Whatever he left behind in the tent must continue that same cycle and then come out of the tent. So there's this generation after generation in that cycle. So what do we do when that cycle we feel trapped in and the tent we were born in doesn't seem to serve our purposes for our present and for our future? But you know what's so cool? Is when Matthew 1.1, the first thing that we read in the Gospels, I hope we got it. Matthew 1 1, do we have it? I'll just tell you. 
It says the generations, the generation of Jesus Christ. That in other words, the circle is broken. And if you'll look through Jesus' genealogy, he's got prostitutes, he's got crooks, he's got cheats, he's got all these things, but they all find their fulfillment and cleansing in Jesus. That the cycle and circle is broken in Jesus. In Jesus. So the cycle can be broken for you, give you some hope and close that thing. The cycle can be broke over your life. But only in Christ. Not another way. It's only in Christ. It's not narrow-minded or bigoted. It's just the reality. While we're banging on doors this morning trying to get people out of bed, they can't come another way. One last story, my daughter. I tell my daughter probably a thousand times a day that I love her and I make her kiss me. She's getting to that age where she tries to settle for the cheek kiss. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Then I usually have to bribe her. But I'll call her over and say, I got to tell you a secret. Every time it's, I love you. Every time. And so one day in particular, I called her and I said, hey, come here, i got to tell you a secret. She said, what, Dad? Is it I love you? I said, how did you know? She said, that's easy, I just read your heart. I hope you let God show his heart to you. That he's even willing to give his own son. I hope you read God's heart for your life. And it's I love you. (laughs) I want to do something right now. Um, Phil led. We're going to have the kids come in here. And we're going to speak a Father's blessing over the kids. And I was just told that there's 13 kids here, but their dad's not here. So we're going to need some dads to step up and stand in and speak a Father's blessing over our kids. Dads, if your kids are here, would you stand up? would you grab your kid by the hand and bring them down to the front? I'm going to speak blessings over our children today.